It's good to see you this morning. I know. It just feels awkward if you don't do that. Uh, it really is good to see you. Uh, Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be this morning as we talk about growing together in community and, uh, and so much about um, what we experience before I even get up here every Sunday displays uh, symbolically what the scriptures are teaching us in community. I love how the worship team uh, calls us and leads us in worship, that it's not uh, an individual uh, or a personality, but, um, but the folks up here really see themselves as part of a team, each part, each person doing their part, uh, and hopefully just enough to get us headed the right direction. I'm very thankful for our worship team, each member uh, individually, but I love how they, they come together and it's, it's really a, a team doing the same thing. So it's a beautiful thing. Um, we're going to continue our discussion from Ephesians 4 on the church today. And uh, so this is really week three of discussion, application of what Paul's been teaching. Uh, week three focused in on the church. And today we're going to be talking about growing together. And so um, we're going to be looking for two primary things. First of all, how do we define spiritual growth? Uh, what does that mean? We use that phrase or phrases like that in the church, growing spiritually, growing in my walk, growing with the Lord, growing in my relationship. What does it truly mean, from, from, at least from God's perspective, for us to grow spiritually? Um, but then, too, how do we do it? Uh, what's involved? What are the, the basics for growing, uh, into, um, growing spiritually or growing into maturity, spiritually speaking? We're all good at growing into maturity physically, uh, not necessarily with our attitudes, but our bodies just take off and start growing, right? And our goal is sometimes to, <laughs> to hold them back from growing. Uh, but when it comes to a spiritual growth, it's something that doesn't just happen on its own. It's not just something that happens on a, on a cellular level. It's something that we participate in. And so um, today, as Paul continues in Ephesians 4, we'll start in verse 11 uh, and read through 16, uh, looking specifically uh, for what it is to, me, to grow spiritually and how it happens. So let's begin in verse 11. This is overlapping where we ended last week. Uh, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the, <clears throat> excuse me, to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if we go back to verse 11, just pulling from last week, moving into this week, specifically as Paul talks about the gifting that individual believers have been given, he breaks it into two categories here with church leaders and church members. And specifically says in verse 11 that, don't forget, he gave the gift of leadership and he lists some of the leadership roles in the church. He lists apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But he lists them to state the purpose of why Jesus gave these roles in the church and he begins talking about the membership as a whole, the body as a whole. And he says this, to do something, to equip the saints 
all who are believers, saints, for the work of ministry, not for the, the good of the individual saint, but for the good of the whole body, to build the body up. And so we talked just briefly last week about um, you know, our vision as a church, our desire to be obedient to what Paul is teaching here and how that plays out. Um, I've, I've shared, I'll share this with you, share it with staff um, every so often to remind ourselves um, what our role is as staff, um, that it's not our job to be the, the ball hogs on the field, uh, taking all the good shots, getting all the accolades and rewards while the, the, the members sit on the sidelines and cheer us on. Matter of fact, our vision for the future is, is a very lean staff. Our vision for the future is not a church that has a staff member for everything going on. And so uh, you guys as members just sit and watch and cheer us on. But the idea is we just enough to get the body equipped to do the ministry. And that's our vision. That's where we're moving. Um, so one of the, the way I word it oftentimes is a lean staff and a robust volunteer base. We are positioning ourselves so that you have a place and a part in the ministry. Not a, not a part or a role that has burden attached to it, but we believe that what the scriptures are teaching, that when you find the place God has shaped, crafted, gifted you for in the service, in the body, that you, that's going to be the place of the most joy that you'll have. You may have joy just coming in and sitting and singing and listening and being a part. There might be some level of joy. But what we're saying is that there's a deeper level of joy to be had, to know that you're not just in sync with your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you're in sync with the Holy Spirit, and that you're involved in what he is doing in the specific place that he has for you. And, and we know that if we get in the way of staff, we'll fumble that up for you. Ministry will become a burden, one, because you won't have a place to serve, or you'll be serving in the wrong place. And so... Uh, as we think about um, the process of movement for the believer's spiritual growth from not saved to saved to growing in maturity, whatever that is, we'll see in just a minute. Uh, and then as the believer grows in maturity to turn back around and help invite people into this process of moving from not saved to saved to growing. And then those people would turn back around and to get involved in the process of leading people from not saved to saved to growing. That process, that secular process, has been happening since Jesus called the first disciples. They didn't necessarily know it was going on, but at the end of the ministry, he says, okay, you guys go make disciples now. Everything I've done with you, now you go do it. Go teach them to observe and obey all that I've taught and commanded. Baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go do for them what I've done for you. Keep this rolling. It's why we're here today as believers, because of this beautiful disciple-making process. And it's very important for church leaders to know their role in that, that we don't get in the way of what God is doing in the church. Now, as we continue reading verse 13, we're really going to get into the heart of spiritual growth. And so... Verse 13, he says, until, so there's this building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain, until we all attain uh, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All those words invoke this idea of growth. Something's growing. Something's coming together and building and growing. So we're going to pull this apart. Um, the first phrase here, until we attain, uh, a literal translation would be until we arrive. Uh, that helps me. 
So the idea is that we're actually on a journey together. I get this idea of maybe um, a big ship or barge moving down a river. And so there's a flow, a general flow, and, and each one of us gets on board. And, and what, what Paul is calling us to is to, rem- is to remind us, hey, don't forget to pick up a paddle. <laughs> this barge doesn't move unless we paddle. I mean, I know it's moving now because like, other people are paddling, but you have a paddle as well. You have a role. You have a part here. It's this idea that we're moving together. And so he says, until we arrive at something, until we get there to that place that we're headed towards. And so then he lists it to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And so what we're going to see um, really clearly in this, uh, in this particular passage, this idea of knowledge, growing in knowledge, is a doctrinal knowledge, okay? It's a theological knowledge that comes from the Scriptures, now, it doesn't exclude, though, a relational knowledge. As a matter of fact, I would say that, that both really go hand in hand. In the most intimate of relationships, you really have to have both, okay? And so, like, I was thinking about this just to illustrate it, maybe like in, in my marriage, that um, I can't just get into my relationship with Hallie, spend time with her, and just react naturally without thinking. I mean, I, I do that sometimes, and I really mess things up. So I have to, like, I have to study her. I have to know what makes her feel loved. I have to know what makes her mad. I have to think about it and grow in my cognitive knowledge. I have to think about things, right? And, and, and I know that we wish we didn't have to. It's this whole idea that, like, we wish we could change each other's minds to think what we think and want what we want. Like, I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes, that kind of thing. But it's not that simple. We have to grow. Like, I have to know this is important to you. Therefore, that's why I'm going to do it. I didn't want to do it. A lot of things I don't do in my marriage that I do in my marriage that I don't want to do, but I do it because I study her and I try to learn lessons from where I mess up. And so my cognitive knowledge of her helps me grow my relational knowledge. Okay, you see how that works? So the same is true of God. What tends to happen in the church, especially in the current generation from early 90s through where we are right now, there's been this shift away from doctrinal knowledge of God to simply an experiential knowledge of God, knowing him experientially, what's happening and what I'm feeling and what we're doing, and and there's this one-on-one relationship. And so I would say that if you try to divide those two, you're wrong on both accounts. If all you have is a doctrinal knowledge of God, you don't know him. Like the scriptures talk about knowing him. Knowing is much more intimate in the scriptures. Matter of fact, between a husband and wife, Adam knew his wife Eve and she got pregnant. So it's not just a head knowledge. However, if all we do is, is operate in the experiential, right? And all we do is date God, hang out with God, and we never spend time in doctrine, we're getting to know then oftentimes a false God, this false idea of who God is. And we're falling in love with, we're chasing after a God that doesn't exist. And God would say, whoa, that's not me. You have to get to know me by the way I chose to reveal myself doctrinally so that you can know me emotionally, experientially, existentially, relationally. And so both are implied here, but for the church in Ephesus, there was a clear calling to a doctrinal knowledge, knowing that that then would would lay a foundation for knowing God relationally. And so... We have leaders in the church. We have members in the church. The the leaders are simply to equip the members to do ministry because we're all headed somewhere together. And one of the things that we're headed for is a more mature knowledge of the Son of God. It's why we can't quit teaching the gospel. The gospel isn't just for the lost. 
The gospel is for all of us. Until we all attain or we all arrive to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Um, so Paul loves the illustration of the human body to explain the church. He does. It's all over the place. In most of his letters, there's a reference to the church as the body. In some places, he really breaks it apart by parts. We'll see in Corinthians he does that. And the illustration really works for Paul. It works for us as well to understand that my body has many parts and many members, but somehow the whole of me is growing, right? And there's, there's a unity about the way my body grows. Hopefully, if not, then there's medical issues that we need to address, but the body's growing together. My, 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 you know, my kidneys aren't the same size that they were when I was five years old, right? Like the whole body kind of has to grow in proportion. At it. And it's funny is that we're at, our bodies actually grow at different rates, like parts of the body, but somehow it beautifully syncs up to this idea that the body's growing into a mature adult. And that's how he wants us to think of the church. Many members growing, maybe even at different rates and being challenged on different fronts by the Lord individually in our individual walks with the Lord, shaping uh, crafting, growing our individual gifts and in service to the Lord, but somehow the body itself is growing together proportionately toward mature manhood. So there's that idea. We're on this big barge together headed down the river. We're, we're charting, charting a course. Matter of fact, um, you know, Paul probably had this idea in mind. We'll see in just a minute. He was on ships a lot between churches, so much so that he was shipwrecked more than once. So this idea that we're sailing together, we're moving together, I believe is one of the things that Paul has on his mind from what we're going to see in just a minute. We're after something. We're headed to arrive at a mature manhood. And, and the goal of the church is not that the church would get out of proportion in its growth, that we would all grow together. Until we reach mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I love that phrase, and it wrecks me. On one hand, it sets a goal that I can never achieve, but two, it describes what's happening to me anyway. That's what Paul explained in Romans 8, that those who have been called have been saved, and those who have been saved are growing and being conformed, but not just into the image of a better me, into the image of Christ himself. And I dare say any of us are there yet. But all of us who are in Christ are being molded and shaped into that image of Christ. And that's what we're after together. So much so that because it's happening in our individual lives, the whole body is growing and being conformed into the image of Christ. So Paul is describing and illustrating what spiritual growth is and how it happens. Now, in verse 14, he's going to then... He's going to bring up the, the antithesis of what spiritual growth is, and he's going to use this illustration of being out on the water and being tossed about. Look at what he says in verse 14. So that we may no longer, which would imply what? We have been. So that we may no longer, because we have been something or been in a situation, so that we may no longer be children. He's referring back to manhood, right? So just because we're saved, just because we have a building, we call ourselves a church, doesn't necessarily mean we're mature, we're kids here. It's the idea, I don't know if you've ever been involved in a church plant. I have. And so there's so much about being in a church plant that feels like being in toddler stage of life. 
clumsiness, a lot of energy, more energy than you know what to do with oftentimes, right? But there's a clumsiness about it, making mistakes, feeling your way through, figuring out, oh, that's hot. Oh, this hurts. Oh, that's good. Oh, I like that, but too much of that's not good. And, and so that's oftentimes. And so like Solid Rock, we very much are still young as a church. I mean, if you go back for our full history, all the way back to when we were a satellite campus back in 82, 83, I mean, I mean, really, we've got 30 years, which is a drop in the bucket, right? So maybe we're, we've made it to junior high as a church, if you will. Uh, but, the, I, but the idea is that just because you're a church doesn't automatically mean, oh, you're a full, this, this body of believers have been there a while. He's saying, listen, I, I, I'm going to encourage you to no longer be children. And then he says, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or teaching, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So there's the antithesis of growing spiritually. So we know that he has in his mind a cognitive growing, a cognitive knowledge that will lead us to spiritual maturity. So we can't just flippantly walk through life experientially hanging out with God. We need to spend time getting to know him. Now, um, some background into what I think Paul is alluding to here comes from Acts 20. I'll read a few verses from Acts 20, but here's what's happening. Um, on Paul's missionary journeys, he had been through Ephesus, and he made a huge loop. I'll try to do this geographically. Huge loop up and around back into uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and then he was actually in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem before Passover. And so he sails by Ephesus, but he doesn't stop in Ephesus because he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. But he stops at a, at a port about 40 miles or so, plus or minus, south of Ephesus, um, Miletus or, or Miletus. And there he calls for the elders of Ephesus to come talk with him. He wants to, to share something with them. And this is captured in Acts 20. And I believe some of what Paul is concerned about, he even shares with the elders when they come. So, in, so here he is. He's already been to Ephesus. He's made a big loop. He's headed back to Jerusalem before Passover. And he stops in Miletus, and he sends for the elders of the church of Ephesus to make the journey down to visit with him. This is in Acts 20. We'll just pick this up in verse 28. And so here's what he says to the elders, okay, the overseers and elders of Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. So he's going to express some concern from apostle to elder. And here's what he says. Well, he reminds them, which he obtained by his own blood, being Jesus, verse 29. I know that after my departure, so after I left, after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So it's not as though he's heard a rumor that they, it's happened. It's almost this is, will happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be an external attack against the church, the doctrine of the church, and he refers to them as fierce wolves. Where did he get that wording? He got it from Jesus. Jesus warned us to look out for the wolves among us who will dress as sheep, but the way that we know them is by their fruit, what comes out of their life, out of their mouth. And so here Paul is reminding them, remember what Jesus said? I know this will happen because Jesus said it will happen. There will be those who will come in externally into the church to try to derail things, and he calls them wolves. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And there's going to be another issue. Verse 
30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. So even be watchful for those who are in the congregation. Listen to what people are saying and speaking. Now, twisted things, that's an interesting thing. Who else do we know that's good at twisting things? This is what Satan does. This is one of the primary conversations that Satan has in the scriptures is twisting of things. He did it with, with Eve. He twisted, right? He took what God had said and just twisted it a little bit and therefore made it wrong. Truth twisted is no longer truth. Even with, with Jesus, he's, he's tempting Jesus with twisted things and Jesus combats with, how does he combat Satan and set things straight with what's actually true? He quotes scripture back to Satan. So we know that Satan himself is a, is, a, is a profound and a professional twister of truth, but he said, be careful. Don't think for a second that Satan isn't in your congregation tempting people to twist what is true. Now, here's what's at stake. Like, um, the big debate over the creeds of the church and doctrine of the church. Um, our creeds, our theology, theological categories aren't what's at stake. The identity of God is what's at stake. Right? It's not the clever phrases and explanations and illustrations we've come up with that we would call doctrine, but that God's own image is at stake. That's why we can't twist it. And so he says, verse 31, therefore to the elders, be alert. Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Then he says something about the word of his grace, which is able to what? Build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So in this passage, Paul says, here's what can happen if you're not careful. The truth will get twisted. But it's the, the word of grace. It's God's word that actually sets us back straight and causes us to grow as a body and as individuals. The big, the big sanctified word came up there, didn't it? Um, which is, it was a churchy word. We don't use that anywhere else. It has a beautiful meaning and it applies to spiritual growth. It's, it actually implies the process of becoming less evil and, and set apart and holy. This process of growing, that's part of our spiritual growth, is letting go of dark things, evil things, things that promise us things that don't that deliver the, the lies of Satan, the, the desires of the flesh, the things that so quickly divert our attention from God. Letting go of these things to take hold of what is pure and true and right. But it's also the process of what, what's happening in my heart. I've been made alive, I've been given a new heart, but every day in God, I'm growing into what I already am. That's the process of sanctification. How can I do that? Well, there's two, there's two, what, two things, two forces that'll be stirring you, navigating you, ruttering your life. One will be the twisted, cunning, deceitful schemes of the wolves or those within the church. That'll work as a keel to get you off course or the word of God, which directs you back. So here's, the, here's what we, we conclude from this and why we do some of the things that we're doing right now at Solid Rock, but also why we're ramping up to do a better job at them. 
So for you to grow spiritually here at Solid Rock, it can happen um, in a number of different ways and places. And you know, it can happen at a Starbucks one-on-one over a table. It can happen in a life group. It can happen in our Sunday morning Bible study. study. It can happen uh, in you know, uh, a, what would seem like a random chance meeting with somebody from the body, uh, you know, whatever. Maybe you, it could happen in counseling. It could happen in, in all kinds of different places. And the point isn't that it can happen in a bunch of different places, but that we're intentionally seeking to see it happen somewhere, that there's a flow to our journey here together. So, like, here's our, what's emerging and becoming our philosophy here as a church to guide our spiritual growth is that on Sunday mornings, we come in together, we open the Bible, and we go, for the most part, word by word, line by line. I shared this with you last week, that this, uh, this forces us to have conversations that we might not have had otherwise. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, it was pressing, pressing in on unity and, and, and preaching from the first part of this chapter, and somebody made the comment, wow. Something must be going wrong in the church, talking about unity. No, that's where we were in the Bible. And we know that the Bible applies, right? So it's not that we're having all these issues as much as the word is reading us and saying, come here, I need to say something to you that you otherwise might not have discussed or listened to. So from Sunday morning, we wanna preach. We want you to know ahead of time where we're going so that you can study and you can flow with us But life groups is designed specifically to be the application of what's taught on Sunday mornings. If you're in a life group, hopefully you know this, that you're you're, you're coming from what we're learning here theologically, just like the book of Ephesians. You're pulling it into life application in conversations with smaller groups. Gives you a chance to ask questions, right? This doesn't always work to ask questions. There's too many of us in here. But it gives you a place to say, I'm, not sh- I'm confused about that. Um, you know, Jason said this, or this was expressed, and, and I-, I need to know more about that. I- it didn't set well with me. I didn't understand. I didn't like it, whatever. It gives you a context to have those conversations, to talk more deeply about the word of God, but also to allow the word of God to read you more deeply. And then a place for us to hold each other accountable when we get to conclusions. When we get to that place in life group, we say, I gotta get better at this. You know what? I thought I was good at that, but compared to what's been taught on Sunday morning, what we're discussing here, I need to grow in this area. And as soon as that confession is made, there's accountability. Because we, we don't just meet together and never talk to each other after those meetings, right? We live life together. There are conversations to be had outside of that conversation where some gender specific sometimes, like the men get together and go, all right, we need to talk about this. I know when we were in life group, we were talking about how we could be better husbands and a few ideas were kicked out. Our wives were speaking into that, but let's, let's hold each other accountable to that. Like, let's strive for that. Or, you know what, I, this, this has come out of our, our life group. I need to talk with you. Um, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? Hold me accountable in this area. You see how we're hopefully taking the word of God, studying it together, reading it together, allowing it to read us and, and pushing it out into life application. Because it's the doctrinal knowledge of God that sets up our relational knowledge with God, which causes us to do what? Grow. And here's why we do it that way, because we want to grow together. There are other ways to do it, but we want to grow together. We want you to know the current of spiritual growth at Solid Rock so that you can jump on board, so you can be a part of where we're going. Now, he says something else um, in verse 15, starts the word rather. So again, antithesis of the wrong way of things going. Here's the right way. Rather, speaking the truth in love, 
we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So instead of being tossed about like kids, so the idea of being tossed about at sea is not just that the waves are rough, but we're, we're enduring it as children would endure it. And it's a very vulnerable thing to be tossed about by doctrine. But rather than that, here's what we need to do. We need to speak the truth in love to one another, and we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, two things being implied here, but here, let, me, let me address specifically what's being spoken here, and then we'll, we'll pull it into more practical conversation. So when we tend to read this verse, speaking the truth in love, that gets quoted a lot, a lot we primarily mean confrontation. Well, you need to go talk with him or her, but don't forget, speak the truth in love, Okay. By that expression, what we're talking about, by speaking what is true, we're saying by what happened, right? What truly happened. Now, that's not specifically what Paul's referring to here. He's talking about doctrinal truth here, okay? Now, that guides our conversation. And we have to talk about what was happened in an honest and truthful way. I said this, I did this, you said this, you did this. I reacted, you reacted, that that's true, but not the truth that fixes us, okay? So it's, it's both have to be implied here. So the idea is not that we're just going to one another saying, I just need to be honest with you. That, that's good, but there's also a sense of we need to speak to, to one another the words that are true, the scripture. Now, let's remember that, okay? So how that then guides the way we talk with one another, it plays out practically. Because we, just for starters, if you have been offended by somebody and you Realize I need to go to that person, something small, something misunderstood, something big, whatever. Just the fact that you go and you set up a time to sit down with that person, you're acting in truth because the Bible instructed you to do that. Matthew 18, if you've been offended, go. You see how that's how we speak truth to one another. We obey truth, but we're also told to speak truth and to go humbly. And so our attitude is humble and gentle and, and quick to own sin and repent to full. It's not really a word, but it can be. Because the word of God guides us. So it's not just about me getting to you to tell you what you did wrong. It's about me submitting to a higher truth that guides my attitude, my actions, and my words. Matter of fact, it's a great place to start to say, hey, I'd like to sit down with you and talk, but I want you to know why, why I'm here not just because I've been offended, but because I was reading Matthew 18 and Jesus said, when have you been offended to go? So you start with a foundation of I'm here because of the authority of scripture, primarily. Or you could start with, I know that unity matters to Christ. He died on the cross to give us a unity and I feel disunity, so that's why I'm here. You can start either place. There's two places you can start, but you're starting in truth, what's true according to scripture. Now, that being said, um, it's also right to be honest. And so I want to just give you a nugget of what I think will help us in the future as a church as we grow. Um, growing pains are going to happen. Like many of you experience physically, things growing faster than other things. Um, growing pains are going to happen. We expect there to be difficult conversations to be had. But here's what I want to say. Awkwardness that happens when things seem like they're not right, uneasiness, um, a clear sense of disunity, those things are gifts from God to us. They're not situations to be avoided. Now, when we feel them, our reaction is to avoid, 
I hope I don't run into that person at Walmart. I hope I don't run into that person at church. I, what service they go to? Okay, I'm gonna go to the other service or I'm just not gonna go all together. Okay, awkwardness and uneasiness, those things are gifts from God. They're alarms that go off to let us know something's not right that needs to be approached and addressed. They're not situations to be avoided. The, the feeling you get when your heart begins to race, when you know you're about to have an uncomfortable conversation, that's a gift from God to say, pay attention here, pay attention here. I'm wanting to fix something here. And, and, and if we just react to the, within our flesh, most of us will shy away from those and avoid those conversations, hoping that time will heal all things, which it never does, by the way. Those things are gifts from God. They're silent alarms of where we need to be present rather than areas of discomfort to be avoided. The places that we get discomfortable in, uncomfortable in, are the places that we most need to be present. Now, again, why are we having a bunch of problems? No, I'm just, this is what the word's saying to us. Because we will have problems, right? Wolves will attack the church. Some will rise up within to twist the truth. We know that will happen. So we're preparing ourselves for that. Now, next verse, verse 16. So we're growing up in every way, and Jesus is the head of the church, from whom, so being Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, if we just read that verse, we might be tempted to only think about serving, working, getting in our grooves. But Paul went to great lengths to talk about our spiritual maturity together. Our growing together has a lot to do with learning together, learning about who God is together. So it's not just serving. I would say it's both. It's the idea of growing together together allowing our doctrine to be shaped by the word so that our view of God would be shaped by the word and it's corrected, it's not twisted, it's untwisted, what's true, but also finding our place to serve and work in the church. It's both of those things. Now, I wanna pull this point out and then we'll, we'll look together. I tell you what, let's, let's do this. So if we ask the question, when does the body grow? We grow together when we grow in our theological and our relational knowledge of Jesus. That causes us to grow together. We also grow when each part is, each person, each part is doing its work properly. Now, we're gonna go to 1 Corinthians 12 again. We were in this passage last week and we're just gonna look at a few more verses from 1 Corinthians 12 to paint this imagery of what Paul is getting at here. Now, this is speaking more specifically to our spiritual giftings and our service roles. So in 1 Corinthians 12, I'm gonna read 14 through 20. Paul continues the conversation we were reading last week. He says this, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. Sounds familiar? We're not rereading a verse we read last week. This is another rendering where he says it again. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 16, and if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? See how practical this is for Paul? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? Where would be the sense of smell? Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
That, that really works, doesn't it, that illustration? Right? You pull out a, you pull out a kidney and you, uh, you try to feed it water, water it, feed it, nurture it. It's not going to grow. It's not going to be alive. I mean, it, right? I mean, you can keep it on ice for a while, but it has to be connected to the body. But the body needs the kidney in the same way. Right? My hands need my feet so I can get from point A to point B. If not, you've got to give me some kind of a tool so I can make it happen, like you know, a wheelchair or something. But my body won't work without all the pieces and parts working together. But the point that he's primarily making in Ephesians 4 is not just functional. It's the idea of growing from kids, from toddlers as a church, into full maturity. That we only grow when we grow together. Now, let me say this to us, okay? Um, you being here, being present matters. Uh, if you're a member of a life group, you showing up matters. If you're not a member of a life group, showing up matters to be involved in those conversations, to be encouraged and held accountable. It matters. Let me caution us. Does anybody like sleeping in on Sundays besides me? If you're listening on the internet, I have two honest people in the whole congregation. Everybody else is, no, three, and everybody else is lying. We're all tempted, not just Sundays, but we're all tempted to sleep in. We run at such a high capacity all day long, all week long, we're all tempted to sleep in. Now, that's fine, I get that, trust me. But if our only thought process is this, you know what, I've, I've been for like eight Sundays in a row, and I could really use some one-on-one -on -one time with God. The sermon will be online. I'll listen to it. I'll be in life group next weekend. I'll be able to discuss it. Okay, those are all very valid thoughts, okay? But there's one problem. Who was the theme of that thought process? Me. I was thinking about what I needed, what I wanted, what I needed to grow. Who does Paul tell us to think about? You. You thought about it like that? The body needs you. When we hit a landmark place in the scriptures and our growth as a body, we all need to be here together, right, to hear it and experience it and grow in it. Just picking it up online next week won't do the same thing. Right? The same is true of maybe a life group or a small group experience. Have you ever missed one and come back and felt like you missed something? Good. Good. It's not so much what you missed as much as what everybody else who showed up missed. They missed you. It's a fabulous way to talk to people who haven't been here in a while that you may see and immediately people feel guilty and they go, oh, I'm so sorry I've been there. I've been busy. I've been doing this and that. No, 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 no. Don't feel guilty. I just want you to feel missed. We need you there. We need you hearing the same things we're hearing. We need you seeing the same things God is revealing to all of us. We need to grow together. Now, if you are struggling with church attendance, I'm, I'm not getting on to you. I'm just, this is what the word's saying to us. This should be our response when we do feel tempted to miss or lay off or lay out or not engage is to realize, oh, I'm part of something. I matter. The only way the body grows is for the whole body to go together. And if you're a foot, you're going to cause us to be clumsy if you're not growing with us. In a lot of ways, you're going to stunt our growth as a whole, right? So, 
With that idea of a river, that illustration in mind, just a couple of things that I I want to encourage us. I think um, these are my prayers for this year for you and for us. Um, First of all, if you use that illustration of of being on board a boat, moving together down um, a a river or a channel or even a a charted course across the sea, we're moving together. And to go together, you, you have to be on board, right? And so I think that far too many of us have found comfort on the banks watching. And what happens is you watch and the, and, the, and the church is growing and moving and then all of a sudden you look up and go, whoa, they left me. And then you run down the bank where you can see them again. Ah, oh, better now. But the church is still moving. And, and maybe you feel left out or not a part. And that's something we want to resolve. We want you to know that you have a part here. We've got a paddle with your name on it. Is that exciting? We, gotta, we don't, God does. He has a role for you in the church. There's a second issue that happens in a river. It's called the eddy. And I'll share this with you as, as a challenge for all of us. You know what an eddy is? Um, I'll just give you a definition. It's, it's a spot in the flow of the river where um, the swirling of a fluid and the reverse current created when the fluids flow past an obstacle. So there's a rock in the river, there's an obstacle in the river, and the river flows past it, but it swirls around. Next thing you know, it's a reverse current going the wrong way. Okay? Now, people can become eddies, um, but, but also pieces of our organization can become, more, and more likely become eddies. Right? Nobody intentionally says, I want to wreck the whole thing and go the wrong direction. Right? We feel when we're going against the grain of things. Right? So we, we know that we have ministries that God has ordained and called and they're beautiful to be a part of what we're calling the disciple-making process that maybe currently or historically have been like eddies, like obstacles in the river instead of being a part of it. So here's what I would say to us, though, individually. Just because you're wet doesn't mean you're growing. Fair enough? What I mean by that is just because you're coming on Sunday does not mean you're growing. And if we're not careful, not intentionally, We'll become an inhibitor. We'll become a boulder in the stream. We'll create an eddy. And we may not be going anywhere, but we're creating a reverse current that's going the wrong way. And so I just want to challenge us in that. Just because you're wet doesn't mean you're growing. Now, I want to end here by just praying for us. I think Paul has led us to a very beautiful and timely conversation in Ephesians. Um, at a time when we're not experiencing a lot of problems. I love that, how God prepares us for what's ahead. But he doesn't prepare us for no reason. He prepares us that we might respond to the preparation and get ourselves ready, right? So what we do after every sermon is we move into a response time. And we do several different things. Um, we, we open up the front. If you want to come kneel and pray, it's a way to respond. Respond individually. You can grab somebody. You can go to one of our prayer and counseling rooms. You can just grab anybody if you want to, but you could also grab one of our prayer partners. Uh, you can come down here and have them pray with you. You can stand and sing. You can sit and remain quiet. All those responses are appropriate as long as we're responding now to what God has said. Okay? And so that's what I'm, I'm going to pray for us now that we would respond. Um, I'd like to end with this. If, if you're here today and you're, and you're not a Christian, um, this journey that we're on it's beautiful. Like, like the scenery, the, 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 the community, the friendships, the kinship that is built, when we all start heading the same direction, you can't find it anyplace else. 
The relationship we have with one another is so much more than being a member of an organization. We, we really are family with one another. But our relationship with one another is rooted in something, our relationship with God. And if we don't have that, we don't have each other. So I just wanna share that with you. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you're not a Christian. All these things we're talking about, about the church, for some reason you feel left out and not part of that conversation. It might, in fact, be that you've never come to Jesus yourself. That's where Paul starts this whole letter about our individual adoption into the family. It requires something of you to become a Christian, that you believe in Jesus. What else? That's it. That you believe in Jesus, that he is who he said he is. He declared himself to be the son of the living God. And when you believe that, your soul is adopted into God's family. Something happens inside you that you can't do to yourself. All that was dead and dark and, and attached to the world and, and driven by only self-motives, all of that is killed and buried. And you're given a new life, a new start, a new purpose, a new place in the river, a place full of life and joy and excitement. And I want you to know that. God is inviting you into the family. He's saved a place for you on the boat. He's saying, come on and get in. This is the way to experience life. Running down the bank, not only are you getting your feet muddy, but you're gonna wear yourself out. It won't work. You need to be on board. You need to be on board. So I'm gonna pray for you today, that if that's you, you would come to Jesus today and trust him as your personal Savior and Lord. You can do that where you're seated in your own heart, um, but you could also come down and ask our prayer partners to pray with you or talk with you about that. So let's pray together as our worship team comes back up. Father, thank you for this beautiful um, calling you've placed on the church, and thank you for not leaving us to our own wisdom to figure this thing out. Um, God, should we just confess together. Every time we read your teachings on the church, we realize more and more what we need to change as individuals and also as a body. And so, God, thank you for caring enough about us to show us what is true. So this morning, God, we know that to respond to you as a, as a church, we need to first respond to you as individuals. And so, God, I pray you would lead us there right now to a place of personal and individual response, a, a place of personally and individually laying our lives down, confessing sin, receiving grace and mercy. God, I, I pray very specifically for any person here who doesn't know you, who's hearing this conversation, feeling like an outsider, that today would be the day that they, they would hear your voice inviting them aboard the ship to leave the bank and all its false promises and to board a ship by faith alone in Jesus that's headed somewhere eternally. God, we pray that that person today would come to you and find salvation that only Jesus can give. We pray this in his name.